Hi, welcome to Chick Chat, the Baby Chick Podcast. I'm your host, Nina Spears, the Baby Chick, and back on the podcast is our Mary Alice Carpenter, a midwife and team member here at Baby Chick. We're here doling out no-nonsense pregnancy and parenting advice. We've worked with hundreds of families and have condensed all that we've learned to bring you simple, practical, and immediate advice for preventing pregnancy and parenting conundrums. As our listeners know, Mary Alice and I have both recently given birth to baby girls. Mary Alice gave birth in December 2020, and I gave birth February 2021. We are both in the thick of postpartum, and we want to share with all of you what you may expect during postpartum period. There are a lot of changes, not only physically, but emotionally. We feel that many expecting women prepare for the birth, but are less prepared for postpartum life. By sharing our experiences and common symptoms as we demystify this fragile time, we hope more women can feel more confident as they enter into new motherhood. Hey, Mary Alice. Hi, good morning. Good morning, honey. Did you get any sleep last night? Sort of. No. Because <laughs> that's part of postpartum. <laughs> yes, exhaustion and nonstop. It's pretty fun. How about you? I feel like your little one's now sleeping a little bit better, right? Yeah, a little bit better. <laughs> she was sleeping through the night for like a week and she's not doing that anymore. So oh. anyway. Four months sleep regression? Yeah. Is that what it is? Yeah, I think we... Maybe in the thick of that. So, oh, coffee. (laughs) Cheers. Cheers to that. Oh my gosh, you guys. We have talked about all the trimesters and about birth. So, we thought it would be a good idea to also talk about postpartum because I feel like I hear women say, Oh, I have postpartum. And I'm like, No, you don't have postpartum. You are in the postpartum period, or maybe you have postpartum depression or postpartum anxiety. But let's talk about what is postpartum. So it's the period just after childbirth, also termed as like the fourth trimester. And actually, there are three distinct phases for the postpartum period. The initial or acute period involves the first six to 12 hours postpartum. The second phase is the subacute postpartum period, which lasts two to six weeks. And during this phase, the body is undergoing major changes. And the third phase is the delayed postpartum period, which can last up to six months. It also changes during this phase are extremely gradual. And some cultures even consider the first year post-birth as the postpartum period. Mary Alice, when you think of the postpartum period, what do you kind of identify that as? I personally think of Like the first four months. Yeah. Because that's also when your baby's still a newborn, or I guess technically they're not a newborn anymore at three months, but it feels more like four months. (laughs) I don't know. Maybe because my kid is four months old. I'm like, I'm like, no, I'm still postpartum. (laughs) But I don't know. I, but also like just from like a mental health standpoint and even from like body changes, you really are still undergoing some super gradual changes up through six months. And, you know, I have a friend who says it takes nine months to grow them and it takes nine months to get over that. (laughs) So (laughs) maybe it's nine months, but I think, yeah, I kind of like the idea of the whole first year because you are also like adapting. And I think like mentally you're still recovering from having a baby. Yeah. I like that. Absolutely. This and learning new things if you're breastfeeding or bottle feeding, changing your your routine of life, their whole sleep schedule changes so much that first year and yeah, there's just so much going on. I agree. I like to tell people it's the first year, but technically there are those three stages. Um so when someone says postpartum, they could be talking about any number of things, but yeah, we just figured we should 
first explain what postpartum is, but let's also jump into what can women expect during the postpartum period since it's just after childbirth. So what's the first thing that they can expect, Mary Alice? Well, the first thing you can expect is some bleeding. Some lochia. So that's the vaginal discharge, the blood, and the discharge that comes after that, after your baby is born. And really, it's like your uterus is involuting, it's getting small again, it's cramping down, it's keeping you from, you know, hemorrhaging, and you're going to bleed. And then you are also going to experience some, some discharge after bleeding. And so it's normal to bleed like a heavy period at first, especially in the first, you know, few days, it can be very heavy. And that can look like bright red blood, it can be brown, sort of like at the end of your period, but it does taper off. And for most people, it lasts about two to six weeks. But I feel like in the immediate postpartum, it kind of shocks people to know that it is normal to pass clots, even up to the size of a golf ball, especially if you're up and you're walking around. And it's also normal. I always tell people this after a birth so that they, you know, can readjust their expectations because it can be scary. They're like, Oh, I don't want to bleed too much. But if you usually when you're postpartum, you're lying down. And when you sit up or you stand up, it's normal to have a big gush of blood because all of that has been pooling in your vagina and you haven't been upright. And so that's also normal. And uh, my favorite recommendation for this is to wear depends. Yes. Yes. Oh my gosh. I cannot recommend it enough. They're so much better than a pad and you just throw them away. Honestly, I probably wore mine far longer than most people do. I was like, who needs underwear? (laughs) It's just so much easier. It's so much easier. And honestly, the ones that they make now, they, you like don't even have a panty line. (laughs) Like they're really, really discreet. Like if you're going to the pediatrician or whatever, and you need to put clothes on, I loved them to be honest. I totally agree. I feel like they're so great for vaginal and C-sections. They're so stretchy. Because for C-sections, it covers the, you know, it goes on top of your incision line. So it's not rubbing it and irritating it. It kind of, you know. And they're not tight. Like it doesn't, they're not restrictive at all. Exactly. Especially yeah, no, size up. Right. Yeah. I couldn't recommend pens anymore. I think that that's such a good thing. And I'm really glad that you brought up the whole sitting up and bleeding because I think people are like, oh my gosh, I'm still bleeding. But, uh, what Mary Alice has said in the past is really take your bleeding as kind of like your guide. If you're doing too much, Mm -hmm. if you're really bleeding more like to the six week mark, you're probably overdoing it. I really, for myself, I experienced it for two weeks and a little bit past two weeks, but then at three weeks I was done. Yeah, And I knew that's because I was slowing down and really trying to make sure that I recovered. Mary Alice, what about you? How long did you? I honestly, I bled for almost a full five weeks, but for me, but I, but some people do, some people are going to take the whole six weeks and I honestly wasn't doing anything. I was basically in bed all day, but some people are going to take longer than others. But even, even though I was, it was very, very light by like, I would say week two or three, but again, taking your bleeding as your guide. If I, you know, I did start going on walks around the block and if I overdid it, I could tell my bleeding would increase for, you know, half a day. And I was like, Ooh, that was maybe a little too much. I'm going to back off. And so right. there's a range of what's normal and what's normal for you is going to be different from me. But I do think like your bleeding will ramp up if you're overdoing it and you're, you know, physically exhausting yourself. But another thing to know that's normal about bleeding is that some people have an increased 
day or two of bleeding around three weeks. So if you're like Nina and your bleeding is totally stopped and then all of a sudden you have this bright red and heavier bleeding for a couple of days, just know that that's totally normal. And it's the eschar or the scab where your placenta was that's sort of shedding off. So if you think about your placenta, it leaves, when it detaches, it leaves like a wound inside of your uterus. And that has to, you know, those blood vessels have to ligate, it stops bleeding, they, you know, everything clots up and it forms kind of like a scab. And when that falls off, some people notice a couple of days of increased bleeding around three weeks. So I always like to give a heads up on that too. Awesome. Okay. Yeah. That is such good piece of advice because I didn't even know that three weeks. That's really, really helpful to know. So thank you so much. The next thing, cramping. You guys, and this kind of goes with the involution. You're, you think that you're done contracting after you have your baby. Well, huh, psych. No, you're not. Because your your uterus now has to work to get back to that cute little plum shaped size, and that involution, you're you're gonna feel a little crampy, especially when you're breastfeeding, because breastfeeding causes oxytocin. Oxytocin is what causes those contractions to happen, and that's what helps stop your bleeding and get that you know your uterus to involute and get back to that small smaller size. And also, guys, it does get worse with subsequent babies because your your uterus has to work harder. It's stretched out so many times, so you will feel contractions even after you have baby. They will feel stronger with each child, which is not that fun. I will say with my second child, I think I was just so, there was so much adrenaline and so much like happiness that it was over that I didn't really pay attention or feel the contractions. And then I was just so excited that my son got to meet her. So I I think... I, my mind was like, well, it was nothing like what I just felt. So so I didn't really experience too much of it. But I do know that a lot of women say, oh my gosh, it is you know, way more intense with each baby I've had. I was really crampy the first couple of days. Like every time I breastfed, I was like, oh my God, I feel like I have terrible menstrual cramps. Oh, I was super yeah. crampy. It was my first baby. So next time I'm screwed. <laughs> Oh no. But this is good for everyone who's listening to know that everyone's kind of different. Like, you and know, ibuprofen so, so, does really help with that. Yeah. So take that, you, you guys. Can definitely yes, take ibuprofen. Have some, yeah, have some on your, your bedside table for sure. And whenever you are postpartum, something that the nurse will do that is not fun that we talked about in our last podcast about birth is massaging your fundus and making sure the bleeding will stop. And you should be able to feel like a hard ball. It's kind of like the size of a grapefruit below your belly button when you're massaging it to help with your uterus being stimulated and cramping down and stopping the bleeding. Um, So that is something else that you should expect postpartum. All right. Engorgement. Engorgement. Honestly, this one hit me like a freight train. Personally, I was expecting engorgement, but I was not expecting it to be so dramatic. I have a picture and my breasts are ginormous and (laughs) shiny. And like, you can see like every vein, like popping out in them. And it's something I also didn't realize is that a lot of it is just fluid, like increased fluid um, and increased swelling. It's not necessarily all milk. I should have known that. I'm a midwife, but like that, I don't know. For some reason, this totally took me by surprise. And, And this happens when your milk comes in, usually on day two or three, but it can take as long as five to six days for some people. Again, this is like a range of normal thing. Everybody's body is different, but engorgement is quite uncomfortable. And there are definitely some things that you can do. I 
However, do not recommend pumping. You don't want to like continue your body's already sort of rushing the milk in. You don't want to continue to stimulate your nipples, but you know, hand expressing the thing that really helped me was using one of those Haka silicone pumps and putting Epsom salt in it. And it helps to draw out some of that milk. And that was, oh, oh, that was amazing relief. I, that's, I finally got to sleep <laughs> after I figured out how to do that. And also using a hawker or something to kind of take the edge off of off of that engorgement because the baby can't drink everything that, you know, your body doesn't know if you had triplets or not. So it's sending in all of the milk, all of the forces. And so using a haka or a hand pump to sort of take a little bit off to pump, to express or even hand expressing until you're a little bit more comfortable can really help. But yeah. And it lasted for me, it lasted about, I would say it was really engorged for probably three or four days and it started to get better probably around day three, but it was to me, that was the hardest part of recovery. Yeah. Yeah. Especially when you have a little baby like chomping on your nipple, trying to figure that out. Yeah. And then they're trying to latch and they don't know how to latch and you don't know how to <laughs> latch them. And your nipple isn't even really sticking out because there's nothing for them to grab onto. I remember yeah. I would also get like warm washcloths and massage my breasts to kind of soften everything up. But it was hard because she would wake up and she would want to eat like right now. And I'm like, oh, hold on. I need to wait for the water to warm up. <laughs> And that didn't go over super well. <laughs> <laughs> That's why, yeah, having like rice socks or whatever to like put on your breasts to help warm and soften your breasts. Also, j- jumping in the shower. Yeah. But again, when your baby's like, I want to eat. Oh, yeah. And- <laughs> no, no. I'm not saying right yeah. when they're they're hungry. I'm saying like if you're still feeling engorged, even when they're not hungry, these are things that you can do to help. Mary Alice, when would you say like your milk came in? My milk came in on day really came in on day three. On day two, I started noticing more milk, but I would say it came in with a vengeance on day three. <laughs> yeah, I would say the same. My, I started noticing a little bit on day two, but I will say, you know, I actually supplemented my daughter the day one and day two with some formula because I knew she was hungry. She was acting like she was really hungry and just irritable. So while I was still latching her and feeding her from the breast, I'm trying to make sure I'm letting my body know like, yes, please get the milk going. Like we have a baby, but I also fed her some formula and that's totally okay too. As soon as my milk came in on day three, I didn't need to use formula anymore, but that's something that I really wanted to tell mom so that you don't feel guilty if you think that your baby is starving or, you know, oh, if I give them formula, I'm never going to be able to breastfeed. That's just not true. Yeah. If your baby's hungry, feed your baby, especially when your milk is first starting to come in. And I would say you can can always do that. But I also want people to know that you don't have to like you're, you know, the, the colostrum that you do have is enough. And a couple of days of waiting for your milk at your baby is definitely going to be okay. That's the normal, natural way that things go. And I totally support, obviously, giving formula if you feel like this is going to make my life easier, it's going to make my baby happier and all of this. But I also want people to know that you don't have to do that while you're waiting for your milk to come in. Yeah. I'm also talking about women. I actually had a woman message me asking that it's day six and her milk still hadn't come in. And I was like, you need to give your baby formula. Yes. Keep stimulating your breasts. And then finally on, I think day eight, her milk came in with a vengeance. (laughs) 
But I, I, that's, I'm talking more about like, if you just feel like your baby is starving, absolutely supplement. It doesn't, and, but I agree with Mary Alice, the first couple of days, they can, they can definitely survive off of, um, the colostrum that your body makes because their tummies are so tiny. But I did want to say that, um, in case women are, are curious about that. So yes. And I also feel like part of that is depends on like who your healthcare provider is and sort of what world you live in. Because in some, you know, in some worlds, your doctor may really be pushing for you to give formula on day one because, you know, they're worried that the baby's hungry. And in other worlds, maybe you are in more of like a laid back natural parenting world and you want to give your baby formula, but you feel, you know, pressure from your community not to. So I think just like listen to your gut and whatever you're comfortable with, just know that everything is all are good options and to find a healthcare provider who you really trust, who can also give you good advice based on your own scenario. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Okay. So swollen belly. Oh my gosh. I think that not enough women have seen real postpartum bodies. And that's why I was like brave enough to share what my postpartum body looked like on our stories, because you don't just fit into your pre-pregnancy clothes after you have a baby. It's not like your belly just goes away after you give birth. It is definitely, you look like a solid six months pregnant after having this baby, but it's not like this firm, cute belly. It's like this bowl full of jelly kind of thing that I describe. And it's, you, you just feel like, what the heck is this? So that's something that I really want to normalize, that your body is going to be kind of just foreign to you in the beginning. And it takes a while for your stomach to feel like it's back at its original position. And sometimes it just doesn't go back at all. And that's okay too. That's one thing I was surprised about, not immediately postpartum, but just after is when I was pregnant, everything, I knew I gained weight and like, obviously it wasn't all the baby, but everything is so tight. Like you're stretched. And like, even though I knew that, like I had some extra padding around my hips and everything just feels really taut because you're stretched to the max, you know, you have this giant baby inside of you. But even now I'm like, where did all, like everything is redistributed. Like I have like little fat pockets in places where I never had them before. And I was like, but when I was pregnant, it didn't feel like this. Like how, and I'm actually, I'm, I don't weigh what I did before I got pregnant, but I'm not that far from it. But my, just everything is feels totally different. And, and that's okay. It's, you know, I'm getting there. I'm exercising. I feel fine. I feel good about myself. It's just, everything is different. (laughs) Yes. And that's something that I think people are kind of surprised by that they feel like they should have the body that they had before. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, no, your body is so different now that you've had a baby. But I think the most surprising one is like, whoa, my boobs look like National Geographic crazy or porn star boobs <laughs> slash this like jelly belly. <laughs> I don't know what to do with. So that's just something to expect. And the jelly belly also, it goes away slowly. Yes. It's not like, oh, after three weeks, the jelly belly is gone. Like, yeah, the big jelly belly is gone, but it's also like everything is just so soft for so so yes. much longer. So long. yeah. <laughs> at least in my at least in my experience, I still have a soft belly and I have loose skin. Yeah, um, on my belly. So that's something else that that can happen because your baby just stretched it all out. So um, things to expect that can't that are totally normal that hopefully aren't so surprising to you now that you're hearing this. Okay, our next okay. one: soreness, right? Soreness. So I don't know about you, but I felt really sore. I felt like I pushed a baby out. I felt really, I felt really fatigued. And I, right after I had the baby, I had really bad leg cramps. 
even though I had fluid and I didn't have a long labor, but I did have pretty bad leg cramps and just a lot of muscle soreness. I pushed in the same position for a while and I was sort of leaning on my arms. So my arms were really sore, like I'd been doing push-ups or something. And my tailbone and my pelvis just felt like I had pushed a baby out of it. It felt like it had spread apart. I really couldn't sit straight on my tailbone for about a week. It was more comfortable for me to kind of lean to one side or another. So just know that, you know, even if I think this is especially surprising for people if they had an epidural because they're numb and then the numbness wears off and they're like, oh, wait, I'm actually really sore because you still did it. You absolutely, your body still had to push, you know, often for a long time. And that can cause body aches and fatigue and just know that that is normal. And also if you're experiencing continued pain, especially in your tailbone or your pubic symphysis, I personally would recommend going to a chiropractor or a physical therapist after, after a bit, if that's not resolving, because sometimes something can just have shifted and it needs help shifting back. Totally. Totally. I, for me, I was a lot more sore after my son was born because that was a way more intense, uh, labor and, and you pushing pushed. time. Yeah. You just pushed for so long. For so and long. And so much effort, you know? Oh, yes. I broke, guys, my face <laughs> yeah. was so swollen. I broke like all the capillaries in my face and I had hemorrhoids like no other, which that's another thing. Oh, yes. Hemorrhoids. Holy crap. That can totally happen postpartum. It's just, I had to sit on a donut for like two weeks and like, oh, it was just, it was so, yeah. So yes, I was extremely sore after my first, my second one, it was so fast that I, I think my body just was in shock and then it was back to normal. So I recovered a lot faster after her. I didn't feel as fatigued. You also didn't push for very long. Correct. I find that a lot of the soreness, it comes from the pushing effort. The pushing. Yeah. 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 Because you're like, because I didn't have, with, you know, yeah. You're, you're oh, pushing. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't have hemorrhoids like I did after my first one. So it was so much better. <laughs> oh my gosh. So, so much better. But yes, soreness definitely. And I know we're talking right now a lot about um, vaginal, but we will talk about um, some C section stuff and epidural in a second. So, along with that, the soreness, the perineal pain, it, if you're pushing out a baby, even if you don't tear, your like the muscles and tissues, all those fibers had to stretch so much. So, you can feel a lot of soreness and, and technically, like typically pain down there for a while. And a lot of people, even if they don't tear, they get kind of skid marks where yeah. the baby, you know, when grazed. Yes. <laughs> exactly. And that can, you know, that's kind of like skinning your knee or something like that. You can't stitch that up, but it's raw. Yeah. And that's, yeah, not fun. And that can also, you know, burning with urination can happen after pushing out a baby. So that's why having a a peri bottle, ooh, put some like lavender oil, some warm water, do that with some witch hazel. That's fantastic. I highly recommend that. Or some herbal postpartum herbs in there that can really help too. And definitely get one of the peri bottles that goes upside down and has a little spout, not the ones yes. from the hospital because the redesigned ones work so much better. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Another thing for perineal pain, padsicles. Yes. You guys, we even have a, a recipe, actually two recipes for padsicles that I highly recommend. I didn't need them as much after my second birth, but my first one, I used them religiously. And that's literally how I 
felt like I survived after uh, giving birth. So padsicles are basically like this large postpartum pad that you put different things in. It can be witch hazel, it can be aloe vera, it can be lavender, it can be postpartum herbs. There's different ways that you can prepare it. And you put them in the freezer. And once you have your baby, you let them thaw for about 10 minutes because you don't want to put like direct ice on your bottom, but let them thaw a little bit and then place them on your bottom. And oh my goodness, it makes the world of difference. And if you're at the hospital and you don't have access to your padsicles at home, ask for um, some ice packs. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And there's great products that are available like at your local Target or store. You can get witch hazel foam and a good sits bath. I loved the witch hazel foam. Oh, (laughs) I loved it. I used it far longer than I probably needed it, but it felt (laughs) so good. I I really liked it. (laughs) I liked it better than the ice. I don't know. There was some, because the ice like is kind of bulky or like the pads, like something in your pad can be a little bulky, but the witch hazel foam was like, oh, felt so good. (laughs) So good. Yeah. And I really recommend the padsicle like Obviously, you're not, you should be in bed regardless, but only wear it definitely yeah, yeah, yeah. when you're in bed. Yeah, yeah don't walk, <laughs> don't with, try to walk around with it. Yeah. No, no. You're not going to have a lot of and success. And definitely with a, a diaper. Yes. <laughs> it depends yes. for sure. So then it can catch up any of that excess fluid that melts. But a sits bath is also really helpful if you're experiencing extra uh, perineal pain. And stitches tend to feel worse before they feel better, you guys. Um, I hate to say that. Um, They can get really itchy when they're drying out, and that can be quite painful. Some people kind of feel the, like, ends of the knots, like the little pokey. It's not pokey part. I definitely felt that. I had a knot that just took a really long time to dissolve, and it, it was tender for probably six weeks. I was going to say, how long did it take for your stitches to dissolve or fall out? My stitches felt better. I would say around like five days, they got like really itchy. And then it felt better after that. But that little knot really stuck around for, it was just sort of (laughs) like, I don't know, it took a long time. And, and, but once that dissolved fully, I was better. But that took probably six weeks, but the rest of the stitches, I would say maybe a week. It, it was a lot better. Okay. That's good. All right. So after a C-section, what our clients have definitely said is that the incision pain is pretty you know, intense after that. And basically you're just finding it difficult to, to get up and move. However, it is extremely important for you to move your body after a C-section, which your nurse will help you and tell you when you need to do it and will assist you uh, because you really need to avoid blood clots. You can't just lay in bed. So it's definitely important to move, but taking it slow, don't overdo it. We don't need you to open your incision. That's just what we don't want. And I've definitely heard from women after they've had a C-section is that something that's really key is to have a good setup with where the baby is going to be next to your bed or at home, because it can be more difficult to like twist and get the baby out of a bassinet without getting up, then sometimes it's actually easier to like swing your legs over the side, stand up, lean over and pick the baby up than it is to like lean. You can't see me. I'm acting this out right now for all of you. (laughs) Um, Then to lean over and try and pick the baby up without, because that when you're leaning and trying to pick the baby up, you're using your abs more than if you actually stand up and lean over and then you can use your arm, the strength from your arms. So really, you know, having a good setup or having someone there at home to help you get the baby those first few days, because I know that can be, that can be really hard. Yeah. 
Because after a C-section, it's not recommended that you drive for at least the first two weeks. And they really just, they won't, they don't want you doing stairs. They don't want you doing much and nothing heavier than the baby. Same thing pretty much with, with a vaginal birth, but like really, really strict. You don't want yeah. anything. Yeah. Really strict with a C-section. And in about six weeks, you should be fully recovered. Your incision might feel numb or even itchy. Uh, that is common. I mean, I've had some clients say that their incision site is still numb even after a year. Like they can't feel anything right there um, because all of those nerves were, were soldered. So yeah, that's just something to be aware of um, after a C-section. So, and with an epidural, most women, I will say, feel completely fine and normal and great after afterwards. Yes, it's the soreness. You're feeling everything afterwards. But where the epidural was, there usually are no uh, side effects per se. But some women, I do like to say, do have some lingering pain uh, where the epidural was inserted, um, having back pain for a while. And some people even have a headache that can last for a really long time. And that's if, what is that called, Mary Alice, when there's a drip? It's like an epidural headache. I can't remember what the name of the, I can't remember off the top of my head. Yeah. So it's basically when there's some uh, fluid of the epidural uh, dripping into your spine that causes you to have a headache. Yeah. It's from where the epidural space, where they go in, if it doesn't like seal back up and some of the spinal fluid leaks, then it causes your brain. A spinal headache. A spinal headache. Yeah. It kind of causes Thank your you. brain to almost like sag a little bit in like that buoyancy from the spinal fluid isn't there and it can cause a headache. And this is definitely something, if you're having this, you need to tell your doctor. Absolutely. I've had a couple of people get this. And I mean, even my cousin, she said she had a spinal headache for a year, a whole year. And I, I just, that's why with her fourth, that was with her third baby. And with her fourth one, she was like, I'm not getting an epidural. That was like for a whole year, I experienced a headache and it was just terrible. So, but anyway, that's extremely rare, but I do like to mention that just in case you're like, oh my gosh, I'm experiencing this. What's wrong? You know, Okay. So after that swelling and this can, Oh, swelling is for all of us, (laughs) for everybody. This actually surprised me. Like how swollen I felt for how long I did. I definitely had facial swelling, but my, I couldn't wear my wedding ring for a few weeks. Um, it took a while. Yeah. Yeah. Especially if you're in the hospital with IV fluids. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And I was on fluids. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I have some moms, I mean, literally for weeks, weeks. And like you said, like three weeks, they still barely have ankles. Like they're, <laughs> they're just so swollen. Mine wasn't that bad, but it was really my hands. I was where I noticed it the most. I remember thinking like, am I ever going to be able to fit my, my wedding bands ever going to fit again? I'm just going to be, have different size fingers, but no, they definitely went back to normal. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Well, you know, postpartum, you could have your, your foot grows wet, yeah. like half a size with each child. Some people experience that. Some people don't. Did your feet grow? But no, no thank God. I didn't either. Yeah. Cause you have some nice shoes. I do. I would cry. I would really cry. I love shoes, y'all. And if I didn't fit in them, I would be really, really sad. I had a client who her feet grew when she was pregnant. Like when she was actually pregnant, they were like two sizes bigger than her normal feet. And she had a vast and expensive shoe collection. And I used to, at that point in my life, I was like exclusively wearing Birkenstocks. And she, at the end of her pregnancy, or after her baby was born, she wrote me a thank you note. And she gave me a gift card to buy a new pair of Birkenstocks. (laughs) Uh, she was like from my shoe collection to yours (laughs) (laughs) 
That's so good. Oh, yeah. Well, that's something that could happen, but thankfully your hands shouldn't be no. growing and exercise. <laughs> no. It's just swollen. Yes. But I agree with my first baby. Oh my God. I was, I knew you were very, I looked like I got hit you, by a truck. You were very swollen. <laughs> it was bad. It wasn't bad, but you were, you were no, it was bad for a while. I yes, remember one, I remember coming over to your house one day and saying like, oh, you look like you again. I remember like the day I, like, it was almost like, like instantaneous. Like one day you just like weren't as swollen. And I was like, Mina, you're not swollen. Like, cause I don't know. It was like in your face. I was like, you really look like less. And that didn't you. Happen. Yeah. You look like you. What about your first bowel movement? Was that? Oh man. Ooh. Okay. So for, I think, I think everything was just so tired and torn up uh, down there after my first one that it wasn't that bad. (laughs) (laughs) But my second one, oh my gosh, no ma'am. Oh really? (laughs) Yeah. No ma'am. That was just hard. The first one I made sure to do, you know, the the stool softeners so that I wouldn't have to strain as much. I drank water. I did the same thing the second time. Uh-uh. No, it was not fun, you guys. That was that that was scary. So, yeah. I, what about you? I really needed to poop. And I really didn't want to. And I was taking <laughs> Colace. I was taking like two a day. And I really felt like I needed to. And then I would sit on the toilet and it just felt so, it wasn't easy. Like I was going to have to push in order to get it out. And I was so upset about it. And I like, but also, you know, when you really need to poop, it's been like days since you pooped and your tummy really hurts. And that's kind of how I felt. And my midwife was like, no, take, take two coles twice a day. And so I did that for a day. And then the next morning it all just like seamlessly fell out. (laughs) And I was like, okay, great. I feel so much much better. better. But after that, I took colace for, especially because I had stitches, I took colace for about a month because I was just so horrified of it like hurting again because I sort of like backed off of it. And then I had one really painful bowel movement and I was like, "Uh uh-uh, back to the colace, back to to the colace. (laughs) But something that really helped me and I, I can't remember who told me to do this is to get toilet paper and to use the to- like use my hand with some toilet paper and counter pressure on my stitches while I pooped. And that I'm not sure it actually did anything, but it made me feel like I wasn't gonna like accidentally split in two, like just to provide some counter pressure. And that was I never heard that before, and, and it really helped. That makes sense mm-hmm. though. Uh, for something that's tender yeah. to put like like when we're having a cramp, it's common for us to put like our arm around our belly and like go through that pain. So, yeah, putting some toilet paper and doing that counter pressure yeah. on there that makes total sense. I lo- yeah, that's a good tip. Great tip. Okay, exhaustion. Yeah. Oh yeah. I'm still in that. Yeah, me too. <laughs> have not recovered. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say with my, my son, he, he was a lot more coachable than my daughter is. (laughs) It took some training and work with him, but he got it. Um, with this little girl, we're talking about the sleep. The sleep. (laughs) Yes. With the sleep. Yes. Oh my gosh. This little girl. No, she wants to do what she wants to do. And that's how my kid is too. She's not, oh. it's not like, oh, just nudge her in this direction. And then she yeah. sleeps through the night. No, no, no. It yeah. takes, no. no. <laughs> yeah. And what do they say? They say that like the first year, I think you lose like so many days of, 
of actual sleep. If you look at all of the hours that you miss out of, oh, it's yeah. So exhaustion, expect it, you guys. And and that's why I think that pregnancy prepares you to get up so many times to go to the bathroom to prepare you for what you're going to be doing with a newborn. But the thing is, when you are pregnant and going pee, you just go pee and then you go right to bed. No, it's not like that with a baby. It is a lot more work and the crying and it's just, it's, you are so tired and you hear this cry and you just, you, but you, your heart breaks because you're like, oh, I want to fix it. But like, please And also stop. go to like, sleep. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Really hard. So, yeah. And I, I want to say with like the, you know, the immediate postpartum, exhaustion really hits on day three. I've experienced with clients. The first two days, like the first night, they usually, baby sleeps like a good amount because they're so... Well, I, I, Mary Alice is shaking her head. She's like, no. Mine did not do that. <laughs> I was expecting it too. I was like, great. We're going to have at least one night of like a sleepy newborn. No, no, no. No, no, no. But well, most typically people do. the yeah. first night yeah. they have the baby so tired and they'll, I mean, I'm not saying they sleep through the no, night. No, no. That's not the case, but it's better. But the second night ugh, is not so great. And then that's why the third day it's really hitting you like, oh man. And your adrenaline I'm, I'm is wearing off. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Your endorphins are wearing off, your adrenaline's wearing off, and your estrogen and progesterone levels are dropping off. So it just everything is like, oh my gosh, your hormones are just plummeting. So you're exhausted. And then just on top of recovering from giving birth and not getting consistent sleep, it's a lot on you for sure. Mm-hmm. What about night sweats? Did you have night sweats? Yes. Both times? Oh my gosh. I, Yes. Both times. Definitely worse the second time. Oh, interesting. Uh, I don't know why, yeah. but I did have it the, the first time. And it usually happens around week two. It's like week two when your body starts like shedding all of that excess fluid that your body first needed to like nourish your baby or any fluids that you had if you had an IV. It's just sh- trying to shed all of those, those fluids. And it should night sweats taper off at around six weeks. But I have even had some people, we did a post on Instagram saying like, I still have night sweats and it's been months after having a baby. I never had the kind of night sweats where you like wake up and you have to change your pajamas and like your sheets are wet. But I've had, I have been very sweaty at night since she was born. Like I get really hot at night and we sleep at the house on 67. So like (laughs) I probably shouldn't be that hot. (laughs) Um, And I just get super like clammy almost. Yeah. Like hot and like sticky, but nothing, not like crazy night sweats. But I have a really good friend and she says that for two weeks, she had to change her sheets every single night. She was like every night, like, or every morning I changed my sheets because the night before I had sweat all the way through them and it was disgusting. Yeah. And this is why I highly recommend putting towels below you. Like rather than, I mean, you're so tired. Who wants to change the sheets? Well, that's what I said. I was like, I do not have the energy to change my own sheets. And she was like, well, my mom was staying with me. So my mom did. Oh, I was going to say, no, I am I like, too tired for that crap. That? Uh-huh. <laughs> Especially since it happens typically at two weeks, my mom left after two weeks. And I was like, I'm not going to ask my mother-in-law to do this. (laughs) So I'm going to just put a towel. So you guys, yeah, get like a big, thick, you know, uh, bath towel and put it below you. If you're just too tired to change out your sheets, that really helped me. That's, that's a trick that I highly recommend, but you're still feeling that Mary Alice. 
I just feel different at night. I feel really clam, like hot and like sticky and I sweat all night, but nothing. I'm not like, again, I'm not drenching the sheets or anything, but I'm still, I don't know. I just feel different. Yeah. Yeah. So see, everyone is different, you guys. And speaking of that, hormones, these are all of the things that we're talking about, you know, your hormones ridding itself. So another thing is emotional, the emotional changes that you're going through. And this also typically starts at around day three yes. because things are really hitting you like, oh my gosh, I'm a mom. It really <laughs> hit me on day three. I was feeling so good. I was feeling great before that. And I like hadn't cried and I was like making jokes and I felt great and I was getting zero sleep. Our baby was waking up every one to two hours, like, but I was like sort of rolling with it. And then on day three, we took her to the pediatrician and she had some jaundice and they drew her blood. And I got the results before the pediatrician called me and I knew like I could interpret them and I knew that they were it was sort of borderline. And I was worried that she was going to ask me to give her formula and not that that was the end of the world. And I knew it wasn't. And I, but for some reason it like really upset me. And I cried for like, I cried like three times about it that day, waiting for the pediatrician to call me. And my husband was like, wow, I didn't know that you felt so emotional about giving her formula. And I was like, I don't, I'm fine. I don't, I don't know why. But every time I thought about it, like it almost felt to me like the first test that I failed. Like it felt like, and I, that's so stupid. Like it wasn't my fault that my baby was jaundiced, but like, it felt like I had like somehow, I don't know. It was like the first thing of many that went wrong. (laughs) Not wrong, wrong, but like just not. And and that's not Not what I mean, but like it wasn't perfect because up until that point, you're just like, oh, my baby's perfect. Like, like I'm, this is perfect. Or I I don't know how to explain it. It was like this emotional thing where I was like, wow, this is going to be like, things are going to, some things are not going to go according to plan. And that's wild. I don't know. It just, anyway, that's my day three baby blues story. (laughs) (laughs) But that's so true. I mean, I think it really starts hitting people like, oh my gosh, this is, happening and I don't get time off. Yeah, I don't get time off. This is a this is a human being that I am solely responsible for and I don't get to clock out. I this is this is my life for uh, for this foreseeable future. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, and so it's okay. No, uh, baby blues are are pretty pretty normal. I will say I didn't really have baby blues with either one. I just felt a little weepy whenever something was difficult. Yeah. Like, oh, she isn't wanting to latch correctly because my daughter has a really high palate and uh, has the worst suction ever with her her eating. So getting her to eat has been a challenge to say the least. So yeah, I would just get like weepy, but I really just kind of attribute that to just lack of sleep and also having to be, I don't get naps because I'm working. I don't get maternity leave and I have a toddler. So I'm just kind of burning. I feel like both ends of the candle and not getting any time for, for me. Yes. Not sleeping. And that's part of the baby blues and, and, yeah. and postpartum anxiety, depression, OC, like any kind of like postpartum psychopathology. Also, it doesn't only have to do with your hormones. I think a huge, huge part of it is not getting sleep. It's really hard to function and adjust to a new normal if you're sleep deprived. It's sleep deprivation is a very, very specific form of torture. <laughs> so true so true and that's why I want to say for people who are listening I cannot recommend enough lining up the help that you need after having a baby I lined up five weeks of help 
I had my mother for two weeks. I had my mother-in-law for a couple of days, like three days. Then I had my aunt for a week. And then my mom came back for another week. I had five weeks of help. And I cannot tell you how helpful that was that someone was making sure I was eating and drinking. And I cried every time someone left. I was like, no, don't leave. And even my husband was like, yes, do not leave. We need help. So make sure you line up the help that you think you need. If it's just two weeks, great. And you think you'll go crazy after, you know, getting help after that point, then do what you think is best. But help is essential. I cannot stress that enough. All right, so when we're talking about hormones, postpartum mood disorders. So these are things that don't typically pop up immediately, but sometimes, I mean, within the first week or two, some women do experience these things. And it's just something to have a conversation with your partner about, to talk about some of the signs and symptoms. So then that way, if they start recognizing things changing, because you may you may recognize uh, some of these things, but don't want to say anything because of the guilt or shame or embarrassment, or you may not and say, no, I'm fine. And, and having your partner say, no, I don't see you enjoying the things that you used to. I see you being shorter. I see you having nervous tendencies that aren't typically normal. So, so talking about these things, because there are different postpartum mood disorders. There's uh, the one that's the most recognized, which is postpartum depression. There's also postpartum anxiety, which I think is now getting a bit more traction, more people are talking about this. There's also postpartum OCD. And then the least very, very, very rare uh, form of a mood disorder postpartum is postpartum psychosis. So all of these things are, if you start recognizing any signs, that you're not feeling yourself, like if you can't eat or sleep, even when you're like, oh, my, my baby is sleeping and I need to sleep, but you're just not able to, or if you're not bonding with your newborn or having suicidal thoughts or thoughts of hurting anyone else, this is definitely something that you need to be bringing up to your doctor because we have to have a healthy mom to have a healthy baby and a healthy family. And there is nothing wrong with taking medication. No, definitely not. And also postpartum mood disorders are treatable. We do know that, you know, between medication and talk therapy, they're absolutely treatable, absolutely something that you can overcome. But one other one that's getting a little bit more research and a little bit people are talking about a little bit more is also postpartum PTSD. So people who have traumatic birth experiences having symptoms of PTSD postpartum. And so that's also like that experience is also valid and definitely finding someone in your area who has experience with postpartum mood disorders who you can talk to. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Because you guys, really the next time you're going to see your doctor is at six weeks. And in my opinion, I think that that's just way too long. There's so much that can happen those first six weeks. And to not to wait until you see your doctor at six weeks to bring up some of these things or anything that you're you're feeling, I think is just too long. But you will see your doctor or your midwife at six weeks for a checkup. And typically, they're just making sure that you're recovering well, your stitches are good, your incision for your C-section has, has healed. They're just making sure that everything looks good, your vitals, et cetera. And then they do ask you some, some questions on like, how are you feeling? just to do like a, a mood check. So yeah, it, but if you are experiencing anything painful, like painful sex, which dryness is very normal postpartum. Um, so getting a good lube um, is really important. If once you get the clear at six weeks, you can start participating. Do not do that before. I 
cannot stress that enough. Uh, if you're experiencing prolapse, that's a big deal as well. Or urinary incontinence. These are things to definitely talk to your doctor or midwife. Well, you guys, the postpartum period is exciting, life-changing, overwhelming, and exhausting. We hope you found our points helpful as you approach your postpartum time. As always, we like to hear your thoughts and are curious if you had any or all of these experiences during your postpartum period. Is there anything else that you would like to mention to our listeners? We'd love for you to share them with us on our Facebook page where we'll be posting today's episode. We'll also be answering everyone's questions in the comments. If you haven't already, please subscribe to Chick Chat, the Baby Chick podcast, wherever you listen a podcast. And you can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Pinterest at Baby Chick. And of course, visit our website, www.baby-chick.com for more. All right. Thanks so much, Mary Alice. It was fun chatting. Yeah. Thanks, Nina. This was great. All right, you guys. Happy postpartum. Bye.